All right. Let's wrap up our conversations, find our seats. so nice to give instructions and people listen the first time. I don't know what that's like. Ah. Good morning, good morning, good morning, good morning. It's great to be here. It's great to worship God together. It's great to see his people loving one another and loving their Savior together. Um, for those of you who don't know me, my name is Lee Shepard. Uh, my wife and I lead the prayer team here at Fellowship. Um, this morning we are continuing our journey through the book of Acts um, as we try to see what it looks like to model the culture of the early church uh, in this place and in our city um, this morning we're going to be going. Uh, we're going to be covering most of chapters three and four. So get ready. Be fast and furious. All right. Uh, I'm going to go ahead and ask you guys to stand up. Uh, I'm going to pray, and then Alex is going to read God's word for us. Uh, Father God, I ask that you would take the words that I'm going to speak and that you would receive them as an offering to you. God, I pray that you would burn away anything that is not of you. God, and I pray that what remains would be pleasing and acceptable. God, and I ask that by your spirit you would empower these words to bring life and hope to your people. We pray in the power of your son's name. Amen. All right. Acts 3, 1 through 10, if you'd like to follow along. One day at 3 o'clock in the afternoon, Peter and John were on their way to the temple for a meeting. At the same time, there was a man crippled from birth being carried up. Every day he sat down at the temple gate, the one named Beautiful, to beg from those going into the temple. When he saw Peter and John about to enter into the temple, he asked for a handout. Peter, with John at his side, looked straight, looked straight into his eye and said, look here. He looked up, expecting to get something from them. Peter said, I don't have a nickel to my name, but what I do have, I give to you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, walk. He grabbed him by the right hand and pulled him up. In an instant, his feet and ankles became firm. He jumped to his feet and walked. The man went into the temple with him, walking back and forth dancing and praising God. Everyone there saw him walking around and praising God. They recognized him, the one that was sat begging from the temple's gate, beautiful, rubbing their eyes, astonished, scarcely believing what they were seeing. Amen. This is the word of the Lord. 
This is one of those times when I realized that I didn't plan very well. I didn't ask what, uh, what version Alex was going to be reading out of. Um, but I, the point is the same, and, and what I want to start with is this idea that they could not believe what had happened, and your translation may say that they were filled with wonder and amazement. Um, and I just want to ask the question, when was the last time you can say you were filled with wonder and amazement? That something happened that you couldn't explain and you just could not believe what you saw. And I think a more pressing question for us this morning, because the people that were amazed were unbelievers. And they were amazed and full of wonder at the works of God's people. And so when do you think in our city unbelievers were filled with wonder and amazement uh, in a good way at what the church was doing? Because I think there's probably a lot of reactions to the church and the things that we do. Um, I think that most of them probably look more like anger and resentment or apathy and rejection than they do like wonder and astonishment. And I feel like I can uh, pretty reasonably say that the church today is missing something that the early church had and held central. Um, I can remember as a new believer, uh, I was probably 21 or 22. I was living in Hot Springs. Um, I can remember I was reading a book. It was called Fresh Wind, Fresh Fire uh, by Jim Simbala. Uh, uh, and I can just remember wanting so desperately to experience the kind of spiritual renewal that he was describing in that book. Um, I was at home by myself. It was, it was winter, and we had, a, we had a fireplace, and I was reading. I was, I was trying to start a fire. All, of, all the wood I had was wet, and it just, like, I tried and tried. I don't know if you've ever tried to light a fire with wet wood. It's terrible. Um, I, I, just, I gave up. I was like, fine, I'll just be cold, and I'll read my book, and I'll, and I'll pray. And as I was doing that, um, you know, some time had passed, and all of a sudden, the wood burst into flame. just stared at it. I couldn't figure out what had happened, why it had happened, and you know, just as quickly it died out again. Um, but I felt certain that God was trying to show me something. I didn't know what it was. So the next day I went and I, I talked to my pastor about what had happened. Um, and God, I love, I love this man and I owe him my life. Uh, his response was to kind of grin and shake his head and say, you just, you just always want more, don't you? <laughs> what? So disappointed. And I felt like I was just left in a place where I could see that God wanted to do something, 
that there was a place where I was going where he wanted to take me and I just didn't know how to get there. And that is not a place where we want anyone to be. That is not what we are about as a church. Um, a few weeks ago, uh, Rochelle shared a word from up at the front. And what she shared was that Jesus promised that we would do, through his spirit, greater works than he did. And that's our target. And I know sometimes it feels like, how do we get there? Because what we are aiming at is to see this church as we are living in God's kingdom as a group of believers is that we expect to see God do amazing things in us and through us and around us. And there's no one in this room that's excluded from that. And we don't want to leave anyone in this room feeling like they don't know how to get there or that that's not for them. So we're using the study and acts as a, as a pathway, as a guide for us to know how to take those next steps, to move into the place that God is calling us. And so this morning uh, is really an invitation to take the next step, to move into something more. Uh, and that takes us to our big idea for this morning, um, that living in the kingdom of God means living out the life of Jesus by the power of his name. Living out the life of Jesus by the power of his name. And the point is this, um, that the pattern for each of our lives should be that God the Father calls us into his kingdom, fills us with his spirit in order to do the works of the Son. Okay, because God's purpose is to shape us, it's to form us into the image of Christ so that we can fill the world with his glory. So now we want to look and we want to see how is this purpose, how did it play out in the lives of the first disciples. Um, chapters 3 and 4, they cover the story of the healing of a lame man outside the temple and the fallout afterwards of that healing. The story is broken up into four sections, uh, four scenes, and we're going to look quickly at each one and see what lessons we can take away as we seek to live out the life of Jesus today. All right, so uh, scene one, scene one, on the way to beautiful. Um, I, really, <laughs> I told you, I really channeled my, my Enneagram number four on that title. Um, and honestly, like, I, I have always loved this story. I love the idea that the disciples were on their way to a gate called Beautiful. And what they find there is a man that is on his way to something more beautiful than any building can ever be. Um, anyway, that's, that's free. That's the way my mind works. There you go. You're welcome. You're welcome. <laughs> So uh, this section, it opens up with Peter and John. They're going to the temple to pray. And the text tells us um, that it is 3 in the afternoon. And where they're going is they're going to afternoon prayer. So they've probably already been to the temple that morning for morning prayer. They're probably planning to go back that evening for evening prayer. Right? This, is, this is not a one-off prayer meeting. 
This is a rhythm of prayer that they live daily as they go to the temple in the morning and in the afternoon and in the evening to pray to their father. And what happens next flows out of that rhythm. It flows out of that life that's built around a pattern of prayer. See, there's a reason that we spent the last two weeks focused on devotion. Okay, this, this sermon is not separate from those. Because living the life of Jesus flows out of a life spent with Jesus. So we focus and we live a life full of devotion to him. Um, so as they're going, they see a man that is lame. Uh, he can't walk. And so every day his friends carry him to the temple so that he can collect money. Uh, today, he catches the attention of Peter and John as they're going. Um, and what he expects is that they're going to they're gonna give him a little bit of a, a handout, right? Um, and what happens? It says that, the, that, that they looked at him, that they saw him. They looked him in the eye. I think what's going on is that they see a real person. They see a person that's been so shaped by the hurt in their life, by the disability, that they are literally forced to be on the margins of everyday life and the margins of worship. They see a man in need. And so Peter says, I don't have any money. It's probably disappointing. What I have, I'll give to you. In the name of Jesus, stand up and walk. The man is instantly healed because what Jesus has is the life of Jesus and the power of his name. It's the power that we sang about this morning. The power that breaks every chain that nothing can stand against. And so each section that we're going to look at this morning centers around this idea of the name of Jesus. And so we want to look at what does it mean to act in his name. And what it means is that all the authority, all the power, all the life that Jesus has, everything that is true about him as the resurrected Lord of heaven and earth is available to us because his spirit lives inside of us. So, is there, is there any sickness in heaven? No. No. And the way that that ultimately comes about is that Jesus, by his power, restores all things. What happens in this moment is that Jesus begins that work of restoration. By starting with one man in need, healing him and restoring him to life. So I just, I, in a lot of ways, that's the most outrageous thing I can say. Uh, and in a lot of ways, it's the simplest thing. Because if you look, these are just two men going about their life. They get distracted by a man on the street. 
They see a need, and in 12 words, in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, stand up and walk. A man's life is transformed. The disciples knew the power that they carried inside, and they expected their lives to look like the life of Jesus. So what does that mean for us? What does that look like for us? First, living out the life of Jesus means we carry his name. So just like the disciples, we have access to Jesus' authority, Jesus' power, Jesus' restoring life, and it means that we can pray for people just like Peter and John in the power of Jesus' name. Because it doesn't, it doesn't depend on us. It doesn't depend on the life that we're living. It doesn't depend on some big formulatic prayer. The outcomes of our prayers depend solely on Jesus and his name. So why not pray boldly? Why not expect to see him do something? Next, living the life of Jesus means being available to see people's needs. So I said earlier that this type of ministry flows out of a life of devotion. Uh, Unfortunately, sometimes as a church, we can be so devoted to devotion that we don't ever look around us. We don't ever look up to see the needs of the people around us. Um, and so we, we, we can't be so busy that we're unable to be interrupted. Um, and I just I have to say this for my, for my wife, that seeing needs does not mean seeing everyone's needs. Okay, what this looks like is that there will be moments in work and in worship and in life that the Spirit is going to stop us and say, look, look up. And we have to actually be willing to stop and be distracted, to look up and see real needs in our community and specific places where Jesus wants to bring restoration. Third, uh, there are still things for Jesus to do through us. I was struck by the fact that this man would have been in the temple when Jesus was there. Later in the text, it says he's 40 years old. He's, he's been there a long time. And there are numerous stories of Jesus healing in and around the temple. But he didn't heal this man. But Jesus also did not forget this man. Right? And that's ultimately what it means to live the life of Jesus. During his life, Jesus healed the sick and the lame, and he continues to do that. There are still things that he did not accomplish in his life that he's going to do now through his spirit-empowered people, through his church. All right, we made it. Scene one. <laughs> Y'all with me? We good? All right, that's the pattern that we're going to be walking through this morning. So scene two, physical healing leads to spiritual renewal. Uh, I promise we're, we're going to move more quickly through the rest of these. Um, so the man has been healed, says he leaps up, and he runs into the temple. All right? He's never been in the temple before. 
He's not allowed in the temple. So the first place that he goes, he says, I want to go in there where God is. I want to go in there where I can be with the presence of Jesus. So Peter and John go after him. Not only that, the crowds that are amazed and wondering what's going on, they go in after him. And so there's this huge crowd that's gathered around, and they want to know what in the world is happening. And Peter asks the most amazing question. He says, why are you guys so amazed? Why, why do you act like this is not normal? Right? And it seems that, that Peter really thinks that what has happened is a perfectly normal occurrence. Why, why are you guys amazed by this? See, the, the crowds, I think, were thinking that this was just kind of a one-off event. It's what I think we would typically call a miracle, where God breaks in out of nowhere, lightning bolts, whatever, probably because someone is like super spiritual or like an uber disciple, um, and he breaks in and does something, and then he goes back to whatever he was doing before. That is not what this story is. That is not what Peter says is happening. He says, this this doesn't have anything to do with us. Since this is what God has intended to do all along. And so he takes them back to the story of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. He says, the God of your fathers, the one who called a family to be a blessing to the world. The God who from the beginning says, I'm not giving up on a broken world. I'm going to call a people and they are going to bring life everywhere they go. That is what this God is all about. And he says, now it's finally happening. Because God, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, has glorified his servant, Jesus. And he raised to life the prince of life. Uh, Some of your translations may say author of life. Um, And this is a, a, a translation of a Greek word, Archegos, um, and this this is literally my favorite picture of Jesus in the New Testament. Because Archegos was was used about a lot of things in the ancient world. Um, it can mean hero, it can mean captain, it can mean leader. Um, the picture is someone that goes first so that others can come behind him. Um, and In a military setting, it's used for someone that wins a great victory and then is given rule and authority in the place that he's won. It's also used in shipping, and the picture is incredible, um, of the, the first ship or the person in the first ship that actually takes the ship into dangerous waters and finds a path through so that the ships behind can make it through safely. And oh my gosh, what an incredible picture of our Savior. He is the one who has won an incredible victory over death, and now he has dominion over it forever. He rules over it so that his people do not have to fear it, and they can share in his victory. 
He is the one who has gone first into death and made a way into new resurrected life. And his people can follow safely behind him. And if this man, if this person, if the prince of life has been raised from the dead, how will he ever stop pouring out life into the people that encounter him? He won't. He can't. It is who he is. He is the one that makes life and has authority over it. And so that's what's happened to this man. Peter says it's not about me. It's about the power of the name of Jesus. And so right at the center of this story of Peter's message, he says that it is faith in his name and the power of that name that strengthened this man and gave him new physical life. It had nothing to do with Peter. It was about the life that lived in him, the life of the prince of life that flows out into the people that he encountered, specifically into this man to bring healing. And then Peter transitions his message so that it's no longer about the man They've been questioning what's going on with this man. And Peter transitions and he says, you guys are in the exact same state. Your sin has so crippled your hearts your entire life that you are constantly acting out of that sin. Including when you worked with the rulers and the authorities to put to death the very person that came to save you. But not even that can stop our prince of life. He came to give new spiritual life by wiping away the sin, by healing the very thing. Just like he healed the man sitting outside the temple that his disease kept him from going into the temple and worshiping God. Our hearts are so full of sin It keeps us from being in God's presence. And so Jesus comes. He pours out his life into ours. He wipes away our sin so that we can be in the presence of our God. And so the call is to repent and to return. In this case, repentance means to stop trusting in themselves and trust in someone greater. Okay, it, if we carried our, out our picture of, of this crippling heart, it would be like if this man that was lame tried to get himself to the temple every day. That's what it's like living in sin. And to keep trusting in yourself that you're gonna make it one day. We have to trust in someone greater and stronger that not only can carry us to the place that we need to be, he can actually heal the thing that's wrong with us. That's what it means to repent. That's what it means to trust in Jesus. And the call is to return, to return to what God has called Israel to all along. To be a people that takes his life and gives it to others and fills the entire world 
with his glory. And so he points to two promises from the Old Testament. One from Moses um, that God would raise up a prophet like him that everyone should follow. And one to Abraham that Abraham's seed, that in that seed all the families of the earth would be blessed And so Peter ends his message like this in verse 26. He says, God raised up his servant for you first, and he sent him to bless you by turning every one of you from your wicked ways. God has been faithful to his promises. He has not forgotten you. He has not forgotten his creation. He intends and has intended from the beginning to restore and bring healing to anyone that trusts in him. So, what does this mean for us? Living for Jesus means expecting to pour out his life into others. I'm reminded of the story of Jesus with the woman at the well, where what he promises is that he would give her a well of water that never runs dry and that she would never thirst again. This is the kind of life that we have been given. It's the kind of life by his spirit that lives inside of us that we can be so full of his life that everyone we come in contact with can receive that from us and we won't run out. And that can look like physical healing. And we expect that. We expect to be so full of the Spirit's power. We expect to trust so fully in the name and the power of Jesus that we see people healed physically. And we expect that for spiritual sickness as well. We expect the same thing, that there can be spiritual restoration because we follow and serve the prince of life that gave his life and is now seated at the right hand of God so that he can save everyone, so that he can rescue everyone from that state of being unable to live a life because of the sin that hinders us. And that means that while we're living out Jesus' life, we see God's promises of blessings fulfilled in all the earth. So as we're going, as we're living out this life, we're actually working with God to see those promises that he made of blessing, of glory filling the entire earth, of victory going out into places that haven't experienced it yet. That means as we listen, as we seek the Holy Spirit, as we seek to see where he is going, we ask and we say, this is a place that's not full of your glory yet. Do you want me to go there? Do you want to see blessing flow into this life and into this place? All right. Scene three. Moving along. Scene three, by what power? All right, so uh, we've got this huge crowd gathered at the temple. Peter is uh, sharing an incredible message about what it means to trust in our saving king, uh, and the religious rulers really don't like that. Um, And so they come, uh, and it says they are greatly disturbed because they are proclaiming the resurrection from the dead in Jesus' name. Um, And this is a, uh, it's a threat to their power. 
right? Resurrection is always a threat to current powers because resurrection means that the way things are right now is not the way they will always be. And that the people that are powerless will one day have their roles reversed, which means the people that are in power will not be forever. So this is hope for people that need hope, that are in a powerless place. And current powers do not like this message. And so they arrest them. It says it's late in the evening, so they actually make them spend the night in prison. They call them in the next day. And what they ask, what we've seen this whole time, what they ask is, in what name have you done this? Because they recognize, they know that names carry power. Right? They recognize. They want to know How did you do this? We know it's not you. We know you guys. How did this happen? And it says that Peter was filled with the Holy Spirit. And I'm just amazed that that we, this is the only place that that we're told Peter was filled with the Spirit. And it wasn't when he healed the man, right? It was when he was confronting the authorities. He's filled with the Spirit. And his response is that by the name of of Jesus, the one that you crucified and the one that God raised, this man has been healed. And again, we see this pattern of death and life, crucifixion and resurrection. It's like he just can't stop saying it, that this is the story that Peter lives out. It's the life that he is living following a Savior that has died and has been raised again in power. And when they hear this, it says in verse 13 that they are amazed. And what they realize is that these two men have been with Jesus. And I'll say it again. This type of life, this type of ministry, what we're talking about today flows out of a life that is lived with Jesus. And the disciples can only do this because they've spent time with him. And in fact, they've been in this situation before with Jesus, and we don't have time to go into it. I would encourage you, if you've got time later, to read John chapter 9. And in John chapter 9, Jesus is at the temple. He heals a blind man. The crowds are amazed. The authorities come in and say, what in the world are you doing? We don't like this. You've got to stop. And the connection that Jesus makes is this man that was physically disabled now has received spiritual healing. And you, the leaders who think that you are physically well, are spiritually blind. It's the same story. The reason that the disciples can do this, the reason they have the confidence and the authority is, one, they've been filled with the Spirit, and two, because they've actually lived this out with Jesus already. The life that we live flows out of a life lived with Jesus. And the leaders just, they don't know what to do, and so they say, stop. <laughs> like that's, all, that's all they know how to do, but they're too scared of the crowds to actually do anything about it. Uh, And so they let them go, uh, and Peter has the last word, and he says, we can't stop speaking about what we've seen and heard. 
we can't stop speaking about what we've seen and heard. We've experienced it. We've seen it. We've heard it from Jesus. And we are going to do the exact same thing. Because that's what our Savior called us to. So living the life of Jesus means walking with him into dark places. All right, the thing that I love about the book of Acts is that it does not try to hide what it means to follow Jesus. So just like this story where you have healing, right beside it there's a rest. You have churches being planted and you have churches being scattered because of persecution. You have great victory and you have martyrs and death and stonings and shipwrecks. Because the life that we live, the life of following Jesus is a life that follows a crucified and risen Messiah. So we live out the entire life of Jesus. And it's real easy to say, go live out the good parts. But if we're following Jesus, we follow him into death and life. And he's there with us. And it's his spirit and his name that allows us to walk through those moments of darkness into places of victory. I'll say it again. Living with Jesus means spending time with Jesus. I'm going to keep saying it. All right, good. I'm going to keep saying it. Um, Peter and John says they were uneducated, common men, which is incredible news. All right, there is no requirement for spending time with Jesus. Everyone in this room is fully capable, fully equipped, fully certified to spend time with Jesus. All right, there's nothing you need to do. And what I found is that the more we trust Jesus in our lives, the more we see him act, the more time we spend with him, the more we see him heal and bring renewal in our lives, the more we can trust that he's going to do that in the lives of the people around us. All right. Last scene. Scene four. Shaken. Peter and John, after they've been released, they return to the community of believers. Um, and I just, I just want to remind us that this story started at 3 p.m. the day before. All right, it reads very quickly. It started at 3 p.m. Peter talked until evening. He was arrested. He spent the night in prison. They were called in the morning to have a trial, and that probably took most of the day. So there's a good chance that they're looking at 24 hours. My guess is they are very shaken by what's just happened. Up until this point, things have been going very smoothly, and I would think it would be tempting for the disciples to think, all right, we're going to go from victory to victory, from strength to strength. And now suddenly there's opposition, and there are very real threats. And I imagine that comes with very real fears. Because suddenly what it means to live out the life of Jesus means that the opposition that Jesus experienced is going to come on us. That's what it looks like when we live out the entire life of Jesus. And so their response is as a church, as a community, to cry out in prayer. 
in those moments when Jesus leads us into those difficult places, the response of the church is to cry out in prayer. And what they pray is Psalm uh, chapter 2. And it says, Why did the Gentiles rage and the peoples devise futile things? The kings of the earth took their stand and the rulers were gathered together against the Lord and against his Christ. So this is the same story, right? The exact same story. The people and the rulers coming against Jesus, putting him to death. But the incredible thing about Psalms 2 is that it ends with God declaring, I have installed my king in Zion. This is the gospel message. Jesus suffered, Jesus died. Jesus was raised, and he sits at the right hand of the Father. That is the story of Jesus, and it's the story that the church repeated to themselves over and over and over again. Three times we've heard it. And it's the only thing that can get us through. We tell ourselves, all right, we're living in the victory of our resurrected Jesus, and that's good news. We're also walking in the pain and the suffering that our crucified Jesus walked through. And that's also good news because it means we are following our king. And their prayer ends like this in verses 29 through 31. And it says, Now, Lord, look at their threats and grant it to your bondservants to speak your word with all confidence while you extend your hand to heal and signs and wonders take place through the name of your holy servant Jesus. And when they had prayed, the place they had gathered together was shaken. And they were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak the word of God with boldness. So in order to live out the life of Jesus... We need a community encouraged by the gospel. We need, as God's people, to continually tell this story of a God who came to the earth, who lived like us, who suffered and died and was raised and now sits in heaven with power as the king of heaven and earth. That is a story we need to tell ourselves, to tell one another. And we need to respond just like the early church did. When there's suffering, when there's opposition, we cry out in prayer for one another. We need confidence by the power of the Spirit. And I am, I am blown away that the thing that Peter and John need to pray for after they just had this incredible healing, after they stood up to the rulers and authority, is that they need confidence. And I can relate to that. This is not an easy life that God has called us to. We need the Spirit to give us power so that we can go boldly into those places that God wants to bring restoration. We need His confidence, not confidence in our own strengths and our own abilities. We need confidence in the name of Jesus. And finally, we need confirmation from the Lord. Again, this is you know, one of my favorite stories in the in Acts, that after they prayed, the entire building was shaken. God answers their prayers and he says, I'm with you, I'm with you so much that I'm going to shake the whole world to see this happen, to see this come about. 
to enable you to be bold and courageous to go out, that I'm going to continue to do signs and wonders and miracles of healing. I am with you, and I will shake the whole world to see this happen. Uh, I'm going to go ahead and invite the, the band up. We're going to move into a time of response. Um, ultimately, what, this, what we need this morning is I believe we need to be shaken. Not just shaken out of apathy and routine We need to be shaken like we saw in the story. And I know that there are people here this morning that feel like the trials and the pain and the suffering of the world has shaken you this morning. And what you need is the power of Jesus in your life. You need healing, you need restoration. And what you need is your brothers and sisters to gather around you in prayer for healing, for encouragement, and to remind you of the gospel hope that we have in Jesus. So we're gonna have time this morning. If you need that prayer, if you need that encouragement, there are gonna be people up front that can pray for you. Uh, if you don't feel comfortable coming up front, you can turn to your neighbors. They will gladly pray for you. We'll probably have somebody in the prayer team in the back as well. If you're feeling shaken by the world, Jesus wants to meet you where you are and bring life. Or it may be this morning that God is shaking you. You may need to know, maybe for the very first time, the restoring power of Jesus. You may be thinking, God, I've lived my whole life feeling broken and not knowing what to do about it. Jesus wants to heal that brokenness inside of you this morning. Again, there'll be someone here that can pray, that can walk you through that and show you what it means to experience the life and power of Jesus. It may be this morning that God is confirming in you the direction he wants to take you. It may be that he's shaking you to say, this is the path I have placed you on. This is the invitation that you've been waiting for. This is the way I want you to go Take the next step. Come, be filled again by the power of the Spirit and go and do the works of Jesus. I know that what God has spoken to me over the week about what it means to live out this power, to live out this life, is that failing may be an option, but being timid is not. Failing may be an option, but being timid is not. So, I want us to pray boldly together this morning. Father, would you look at your people? Would you see your church just as they are with our pain, and our suffering and our uncertainty, God, and our hope and expectation, would you see all of it? And would you come, would you give us the ability to speak your word with confidence, to live out the life of your son boldly? 
And God, would you extend your hand to heal and would signs and wonders take place through the name of Jesus. Amen.